Hey there, this is a special Facebook Live trial debrief with H2H member Heather Mitchell. Just wanted to pop on before you started listening and let you know that the H2H crew is currently open through April 13th. Heather will talk about her experience in trial and in the H2H crew. Go to fromhostagetohero.com to learn more about the crew or to enroll now. When you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. All right. Well, welcome everybody to today's trial debrief with Heather Mitchell. We are so excited to have H2H crew member Heather Mitchell come and tell us about her win. If you are here on Facebook and you're watching, go ahead and tell us where you're watching from. And of course, if you're here in the Zoom platform as an H2H crew member, you can say hi to me or um, to Heather in the chat. We will take questions for Heather near the end. You can load those in anytime you like. If you're here in the Zoom platform, please load them in the Q&A feature, not the chat feature because we won't see those as easily. And in Facebook, if you want to just ask your questions as we go in there, um, Christy will grab those for us and we will get to those after we take our questions from the crew. Another reason you need to join the crew because we are opening in another couple of weeks. Well, welcome Heather. Thanks for being here with us today. Let me just start by congratulating you on your win. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And so I, let's, honestly, I attribute a ton of this to H2H and to you. And to oh. this well, thank you for that. I can't wait to hear more about that because we love when this, when this stuff works. But tell us a little bit, of, give us some background. Where was this case? What was it about? Give us some of the deets. Okay, so this case was in Oklahoma City, state of Oklahoma. Um, it is a medical malpractice case. It involved uh, a young couple from Texas and it involved two corporate defendant healthcare providers. One was a large commercial laboratory out of New Jersey, and another is a large healthcare system, fourth largest healthcare system in the country. Keep going. Yeah, tell us some more. So well, you want me to tell you about the case a little bit? What happened? Yeah, tell us a little bit. About, well, first, before you tell us about the case, actually, this is a great point to, uh, to start with. What were any COVID situations going on? Were you in person? And if so, did you wear masks? So what, how did that all play out? Girl, we are here in Oklahoma. You know, COVID it doesn't exist here very much. Uh, yeah. It's just the flu, right? Right. Um, so we did we did this whole trial in person, and we were required to wear masks in the courtroom. When you were speaking, though, you could take them off. So the jury had masks, but for in large part, you know, lawyers doing all the questioning, the witnesses from the witness stand did not have masks. I gotta tell you, it's a six day trial. By the end, most people didn't have a mask on. So. Gotcha. Okay, all right. So tell us about what, what were you up against? What was this case actually about? The, what I would call the mini opening statement on it, because there's some details in it that I think are gonna kind of become important and you'll pull out and recognize a theme. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, this involved a young couple from Texas who actually drove four hours from Texas to Oklahoma City to, for a doctor's appointment. Uh, they had just found out from the husband's employer was transferring them to Oklahoma City. And they also just found out that the wife was newly pregnant with their third child. So. They're driving up here to establish prenatal care here early before they even move to Oklahoma and they've chosen this doctor off the Internet. Uh, and they've also chosen this particular health care system because it is religious based. So when they arrive from Texas and they get to the healthcare institution, 
it's beautiful, marble everywhere. And of course, um, instead of seeing the doctor they've chosen, they're seeing a nurse practitioner. And the reason is the doctor that they have chosen to see is out on maternity leave herself. So a nurse practitioner is covering for her. This nurse practitioner is actually newly hired to the healthcare system. She works across town for another doctor and she's just covering part-time. So as a part of this initial prenatal visit, they do a whole battery of tests, nine tests. And um, one of those included a pap smear. The tests are processed locally except the pap smear. Unbeknownst to the plaintiffs, this pap smear is flown 1,300 miles across the country to New Jersey for processing. And that's gonna become a very important feature in this case. And I'll tell you a little bit why in a minute. But four days after this visit, uh, the plaintiff gets a phone call at home that all her tests are normal. And so two days after that, the pap smear results back abnormal. That she was never told about this abnormal result, and it is admitted that, in fact, the pap smear, for all intents and purposes, was lost. Wow. I'll tell you, you know, that it was important that it was a doctor's choice that this um, was sent to an outside lab. The thing is, when the results come back, the results do not integrate into the content of the patient's medical record, nor do they go to the patient's portal. So the patient could go out and see her own results if she wanted to. She didn't even have that option. You don't even know that the test has been run. And you know, she had nine tests that day. So um, the problem in this case was a double problem because the pap smear was, was resulted as the wrong, it was resulted as an abnormality, but the wrong abnormality. Wow. Resulted as a low-grade pap smear when in fact it was a high-grade and high-grade is far more worrisome than a low-grade because it's important because 20% of high-grades will go on to produce cervical cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, this kind of started, this debacle starts a 15 month delay wow. in the diagnosis of this young woman's cervical cancer and cervical dysplasia. So by the time it is recognized, she has a five centimeter tumor on her cervix, growing out of her cervix like a lime. It's the size of a lime. Was she able to, to give birth? Very important point. That was a really key issue in this case. Um, I, I drew out a timeline and, you know, the beautiful thing about it is we, because she was pregnant, we had eyes on a cervix through a certain course of time. So mm -hmm. we know through the course of this pregnancy, because the doctor was looking directly at her cervix, that it appeared completely normal. And more importantly, when she delivered the baby, she delivered it vaginally through her, you know, obviously through her cervix and the cervix acted totally normal. A disease, a very diseased cervix will bleed significantly. Mm -hmm. She had normal bleeding. So hello causation. Um, that helped me a lot with the issue of causation. And then seven, you know, her cervix looked totally normal as she delivered this baby and four weeks after this baby. And then we have a seven month gap and then she starts to have abnormal bleeding where she goes back in to see the doctor. The doctor actually um, schedules her for a hysteroscopy, which is actually designed to look for uterine bleeding. And then, of course, when she sits down and has her in stirrups to do the procedure and, you know, sees her cervix, she knows exactly what the problem is, which uh, was also the first time that patient's pap smear result was ever opened and looked at by her the, orig the original one? Yep, the original one. 
so what was her outcome? Her outcome was, um, I mean, she had advanced cervical cancer. I mean, at that point she is in the fight for her life, mm -hmm. but you know, as this happens and as time goes and we had a delay in COVID, we, at the time we tried this case in November, uh, you know, of last year, 2021, she was almost at the five-year mark, not quite, but almost mm -hmm. at the five-year mark. I mean, her outcome is that she is going to survive, but she had the full complement of treatment that you could possibly have. And, and that's a lot. And it's- Yes, it is, as I know. <laughs> Life-altering impacts, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about, and, and, and your verdict in this case was? 7.5 million. 7.5 million, which is wonderful. As we know, medical malpractice cases are some of the most difficult cases to try, and they are very difficult to win. The last check that I saw is that we win maybe 20 to 30% of our med mal cases because it's always hard to sue anyone in the medical profession. So let's talk, let's start this discussion then on what are some of the problems that you had to overcome in this case? Well, you know, that, that's funny because, you know, I, I had a lot, I thought. Um, and then when, you know, you look back on a case, you think, okay, that wasn't that bad. One of the things, because I- <laughs> It's always better when you're done and you've won. <laughs> One of the things I was so, so, so worried about going into this case, and it was something uh, because, you know, I case workshop this case in the H2H crew. I was so worried about cervical cancer and what causes cervical cancer is human papilloma virus or HPV, which is basically a sexually transmitted disease. Mm -hmm. So I was just absolutely terrified of the slut shaming defense. And the fact that this was a... Um, this was the couple's third child she was having, but she, her first child was by another man when she was like barely 18 years old. So, you know, there was, there was a little bit of that that I was really worried about was the issue of how and how are we going to grapple with and talk about HPV when no one in the, on the planet wants to talk about their sexual history. Right. So what did you end up doing? Exactly what you told me to do, sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm working this through the case workshop um, and talking about how afraid I was of it. Um, you said, this from the jury during Vordire. And I, you know, I was thinking, okay, yeah, that's all well and good, um, but I'm terrified you know, what if you stand up there and you say, who here knows or who can tell me what causes cervical cancer? And you get like no one mm -hmm. to say anything. But it turns out that more people knew about it than what I thought. And then once we got into that and we started sourcing it from them about you can, you can get HPV and have HPV and never know it, it is prevalent everyone has it everyone who is sexually active has had it at some point in their life that is a fact but it came out so much better from the jury than it ever came from me telling them that once all that came out and we just started going on that in Bordire, it literally took that issue completely away <laughs> yay i just first i want to acknowledge you because I can give anybody advice about anything, but until you actually overcome the fear, I'm not the one standing in front of the jury, you are. So I wanna acknowledge you, my dear Heather Mitchell, and say, good job overcoming that and going, oh my God, I'm about to talk about a sexually transmitted disease with the jury. And not only that, is let them tell me what it's about and risk standing there and having no one talk to me. And I'm so glad that turned out to not be the case and it rarely is but our fears will of course grow there wonderful what other what other issues did you have in uh, the case that you had to overcome you is you know as we are that when you looked at her i mean we were five years really or close to five years away from her treatment and she looked so good you know this was an a vis uh, injury that is not visible Right. You know, she had to have a hysterectomy. Okay. Well, a lot of women do. Mm -hmm. So what? 
You know, people have yep. those every day. She already has three kids. Yep, she already had three kids. And, um, you know, it did send her into premature menopause, but okay, take an estrogen pill. People do that mm -hmm. every day too. Mm -hmm. You know, and the chemotherapy and radiation were a thing in the past. You know, she had full hair. She looked beautiful. She's a very attractive young woman. And so, and I was actually kind of told this by one of the defense lawyers as we are litigating this case is he was kind of like, you know, okay, so what's the big deal here? Like she's, you know, she got through it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. um, so that I felt like that was something we really had to overcome because if you looked at this case on the very surface, that actually was all true. But what, what is little known and honestly, it wasn't documented very well in her medical records. And she didn't talk about very much was the fact that radiation to a woman's pelvis basically renders it a desert wasteland for lack of a better term. And so tissues that are soft and pliable become hard and non-elastic. Guess what? And Chemo does that too. Won't tell you how I know that. But, you know, it has a significant impairment on sexual function. But when you want to talk about that stuff in front of a jury and you want to get well, double whammy, <laughs> it's like, okay, now we're done talking about sexually transmitted diseases. Let's talk about sex. Oh my goodness. So, you know, and then there wasn't a lot in her medical records. She hadn't talked a lot to her physicians about it. So there, there was that issue too. And so finally I had to think, you know, how the hell are we going to talk about all this? And I kind of decided in the end, we were going to shame it. We were going to theme this up around the concept of shame mm. and made it a part of the damages of body image and those kind of things that, um, and you know, body image is something that is a universal shame trigger, and it 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 is universal for men and women. It's not just um, specific to women. And so I I kind of had to work around those issues, but I'm going to tell you, it took me a lot of thinking mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot of walking and a lot of listening to podcasts and those kind of things <laughs> to sort of get there. I felt like that was kind of one big issue we really had to overcome as well. And how did you deal with that in Voyager? We pro when we talked about in Voyager, I'm not sure that we entirely went to that issue, but there was a, we kind of addressed it in terms of, a mo of the money right? Mm -hmm. Because money and you know, this was something too, that was pulled straight out of, I think, I think you had Randy McGinn come on as a guest lecturer. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and you've talked about some of her stuff too, as well. But, you know, Randy McGinn had made this concept, this statement about when you are approaching a board and talking to a jury about money, kind of and we did this and it worked out beautifully because we had two corporate defendants. But, you know, if these two corporations were fighting about a $10 million contract and one of them, you know, defaulted on this contract and they owed them $10 million, who here would have any problem awarding them $10 million? And, you know, and we talked, you know, doesn't everybody agree they should be get, getting their $10 million? You know, and so then we themed it into why is that different for someone who has been injured? Okay. Things, Love that. Those kind of things. And then we set that, you know, I remember you saying distinctly that one of the approaches was to set that $10 million. So when you come in on close, you go right under it. Mm -hmm. So you look anchoring. Yeah. Yeah, so you look reasonable and you have them prepared for this number. And then when we came in to close, we we just knocked it down a little bit to my ask. I gave a range, but my ask was the top of it was 8.3 and we got 
That's incredible. That's incredible. So what did you have to do, Heather, to get ready for trial in terms of your mindset? Oh my God, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which we know in H2H is what it's all about. The mindset is everything. The, mm. You know, it is truly everything. And if you can get there, it is the most freeing thing ever. But it is also the thing that I have to continually work on every single day. And if you fall off, because, you know, you fall off of everything, right? Like, you know, the diet truck or the, you know, no alcohol mm -hmm. truck or whatever truck you're on this week, you fall off a lot. But you have to go back to the mindset stuff. And so what did you do to get your mindset right? Rid of the saboteur. Mm. Understanding, you know, get all these fears and stuff out of your head. And remember, 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 there's always two cases. There's the case that was litigated, right? The case that you worked up in discovery and all that stuff. But then there's a different case and it's the case you try. Mm. And it's, those those two things don't always look alike and so you know a lot of stuff that you were worried about doesn't hell didn't even come out in trial right yeah we're great at at creating a lot of problems and 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 i think that's what makes you all great is you is you go and you go okay what are all the possible issues right but there's a time to release that and then be in trial right so it's like i i've i've like I've looked at those, I've, I've dealt with them. And when I get to trial, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Instead of still carrying all of that with us and, and having it hang over us as we're actually in trial. Tell me a little bit about some of the H2H concepts that you used at trial or how H2H helped you. Um, well, I mean, you know, just like I was talking about the Randy McGinn stuff and dealing with the money that, you know, that's a concept that came that it may not be specific to, you know, your book, but it also came out, bore out of all of this. The concept of, you know, the opening statement. Mm. And it was themed out exactly like you put out in the book and the structure of it with the a teaching segment right up front, mm. which I thought was so critical in this case, um, because it, it, you know, there's a lot to cover when you're talking about pap smears and, you know, we had eight men and four women on this jury. Mm. So know very much about pap smears. So it was really critical to set those up in order, like you instruct in the book. And I, I felt like that was so important in getting us off to a successful start. So you taught about what a pap smear is, what it what it tells the doctor and how that prevents cervical cancer if you actually look at the goddamn result, I'm assuming is what you taught about there. And then you and then you told the story, right? Uh, well, here's what happened here, which is what anyone new to us listening today, that's what we teach. Here's what should have happened, right? Here's how you use pap smears, here's what they're for, and here's what did happen. And then the jury can put the two and two together and recognize, wait a minute, something went really wrong here. And, the, and then also kind of t discussing the themes and pulling out the themes. And I swear to you, sorry, I swear to God, I had this moment in trial where I see you, you like on video, because that's how I see you all the time, <laughs> flash before my face when, um, because you had something said something in a case workshop that had just sat with me and it was something I had never thought of, which is, you know, the kind of the culprit in this case who really screwed this case up was a nurse practitioner. But you made this comment, which is, oh, you know, you don't want the jury to feel sorry for her. Mm. And my instinct always is, is, you know, to find the culprit and just beat the crap out of them, you know, mm. just pound them. And um, that not doing that actually really served me well because it helped when I put her on the stand. She was the very first witness right out of the box, which is also kind of a method taught, which is, you know, call them right up front and get them out there. And um, 
it got to a moment in the trial where she said something that I thought was just so ridiculous. Like, basically, this is what she said. She said, well, I didn't call the patient because um, I didn't have a phone in my office. Oh my God. In the largest healthcare system in this state, like, mm -hmm. do not have legs. Right, right. That's what you wanted. I mean, like, really? Mm -hmm. But, and, uh, but, and I wanted to just choke her. Like, I just wanted to just pounce on that, but I didn't. And themed it back up the issue of I didn't want the jury to feel sorry for her if I started pounding her and put it back on the healthcare system mm. and putting her into this situation where she is brand new to the system, didn't know much about it, is having to cover someone else's practice that she doesn't know anything about, didn't know much about their medical records, um, electronic medical records system. And so it's just sort of themed it up back into that, which I don't think I ever would have had the thought process or instinct to do had you not said, mm, you know, a jury, you know, you don't want the jury to feel sorry for her. Well, I'm so glad that worked. And I disagree. You probably would have gotten there or may or not. Who knows? That's why I think it's such the beauty of the H2H system and community is that we all get together and we get to all pile on on your case. And you get a lot, not just my advice, but you get other people coming in and saying, saying things about that you'd never thought about. We have that opportunity every single month in there for you all to play with that. I'm so glad that that worked out for you. You know, it, it reminds me too of Jesse Wilson's work, who we've also had in many times as a guest expert. Just when Jesse and I met, we were laughing because I'm like from hostage to hero and he's like from victim to victor, right? And so it's all about in his work, finding the true villain. Sometimes I was working with a client yesterday. Sometimes if there's so many villains, if every single person is a villain, the jury starts to tune out and go, this can't be possible that every single person was horrible here. Like something's wrong. Some, something's what stinky in Denmark or whatever that phrase is, right? So when we get really clear on who are we really going to pin this on, it actually becomes easier for the jury because it's more of a believable story than everybody screwed up here. And this is just horrible. Unless everybody did screw up and there was like, it's a bad hospital, then great. But, but it's really getting clear on who our villain is. Is, is a huge part of this too. So glad that worked out. Yeah, no, it was great. Anything else that you want to share about this trial before we go to questions? Like what was your biggest learning after having gone through this? Hands down mindset, hands down. Oh, I love it. I love it. Mindset and when you say mindset, mindset, define what you mean by that. Cause people might, listening might be like, what do you mean mindset? Why is that so important? So you come in and, and I think you've said this before, like clarity of values, mm. know, know that, get rid of the saboteurs. If you lose, it's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. Your life is not going to end. It's okay. Mm -hmm. you, you know, just know you've done your best and kind of, and just, and then believe in the jury, believe, yes. believe in the jury. Did you feel like you got your group after uh, what year? Except I, I, you know, I was a little twisted up in Vordier, and this is also no, you know, we'd go back to um, mindset issues because the judge gave them six preemptory gave. So he gave each defendant three. And I knew going into this case that women were going to be my stronger jurors. Mm -hmm. And the defense kicked off six women. Mm -hmm. So it left me with a jury of four women and eight men. And so um, in the mindset of just letting, you gotta let that go, right? Like there's nothing I can do about that. It's, it's happened, don't, so you know, you gotta you got move on to the next thing. Well, so, not to mention that that's, that's um that's old wiring right y'all you all deal in demographics and age and gender we know that it's about the right beliefs system that they have right and those are the people we're looking at that said you know men may not care about pap smears but they do care about sex 
So that could have been in your favor as well, since that was one of the damages here, her inability to have sex. Um, so yes, yeah, so that mindset piece, and we do talk a lot about the saboteurs. Was this your first uh, eight-figure win? No. Oh. Say that again. The seven-figure win? How do I, I've made Oh, no, the seven-figure win. Thank you, yeah. seven-figure win. But not my figure win either, no. But it is, it is the highest one I've had. Wonderful. For sure. Wonderful. Yeah. We've had so many people come through H2H that either never got one or never had one as high because not that they learned some great way to control the process, but because they let go of control and were able to focus on what really mattered. And did you have fun? We tend to hear from everybody that, that this was so much fun doing it this way. Most fun I've ever had in trial without a oh. doubt and then like at night slept like a baby i was like this is weird like this has never happened to me i've tried i tried like you know up until that point i'd had 19 trials to verdict this was my 20th trial i'm like this has never happened like well oh. and my husband was like like he's like who is she <laughs> i love it i love hearing this okay let's take some questions all right, so we've got a couple here in the crew. If you're here watching crew, you can uh, load those up in the Q&A. And once we get through those, I'll take some from Facebook. So Rob is asking, how was your voir dire received by the judge, by the defense, by the jurors? I'm gonna tell you, we had a baby new judge, baby, baby judge. So, I would just take that off the table because I'm not really <laughs> sure. <laughs> the jury seemed to receive it all well. And did you try, try Designed Alliance? I'm sure everybody's wondering about that. Yeah, yes, yes. And how'd that go? It, it went okay. I, you know, I still, uh, because, you know, I tried to design Alliance again recently. And I was like, oh, well, hell, you know, I, this, it's, it's hard. I'm still learning. I still have a lot to learn about it. I do feel like Bordire is my Achilles heel, but I'm going to master it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You tried it. That's great. Okay. So um, how was she staged at the time of diagnosis? What stage was she at? You know, first off, cervical cancer is a little bit different than other cancers because they stage it clinically. So she was staged as a 1B2. Mm-hmm. When in fact, she was probably more like a 2B after we get the pathology back from, you know, and all of that. But they never, you know, cervical cancer is a little bit odd that way in that they don't change the diagnosis or the staging even after the pathology shows something worse. They keep mm. it as a 1B2. Gotcha. All right. Um... Arcady saying, I think that's very smart not to pounce on her. The jury will see it themselves. Yes. So John Coletti, a great trial attorney here in Portland, Oregon, says, I never get so angry at anyone in trial because then I want the jury to almost be a little irritated with me. I'm like, why isn't he more upset? This is so egregious so that they get upset and kill him in the verdict room. And I think that's, that's such a great point. Um, no questions yet in Facebook. Um, any more questions from our H2H crew? Uh, as they come in with more questions, Heather, tell me, what would you do differently now moving into new trials after having this uh, experience? Um, I, you know, I, I will tell you that they did assign some contributory negligence to the plaintiff, which just was literally, you get a great verdict, but I will have to tell you that part was really devastating. Mm -hmm. I did not like that at all. And um, they gave her 15%. And it, it's kind of working on how to continue to undermine and defensive attribution. Yes. yes. I, it is so hard. And, and that's another issue that I really want to focus on going forward is how to undermine that defensive attribution. Yeah, did you do anything in your challenges section on her and why, if they might think she's at fault? Yeah, yeah. because we went through the whole, the whole thing about, you know, 
how do you get your test results from your physician? You know, mm -hmm. do you expect them to call you? Why is that important? Mm -hmm. You know, they called her and told her her test results were normal. Yeah. What do you want her to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, people get things in their head. I think they got into their head because we actually got to talk to a juror afterward. And um, they felt like the ones that wanted to give her contributory negligence felt like she should have called for her test results because she had had some prior abnormal pap smears in the past. So therefore she should have been on heightened notice. Mm -hmm. So therefore you should call and just ask about your pap smear only. You know, and then sometimes I'm like, well, hell, you know, what do you do with that? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I want to, to caution you. I want you to say, okay, that's something that I want to be thinking about. Yes, but I don't want you to get so crazy about it that you're like, this can be solved. And not all, not all things can be solved. Jurors are going to be jurors and they're going to have their thoughts. And that's why I asked about the challenges. If you, in your challenges section said, now, when we took this trial, we thought, wasn't well, this her fault? Why should? Why didn't she call? And here's what we found, right? She had nine tests that day. She expected that or whatever. And you answer that question and that you do it in a way that, that mimics what the jurors are thinking. There's got, we have lots more questions coming in. Okay. Um, how many witnesses testified? Who was your best quote unquote witness? Oh my gosh. Okay. So first off going into this case, there were 11 uh 11 witnesses total nine of them were experts like in some form or fashion either you know a defendant who is a doctor or you know that kind of thing so i mean a lot of high level preparation cross-examinations when we get down to the trial and i'd had you know it was crazy to me we were trying this case to begin with why why are you trying a case where i had an admission from the hospital that not only did they not tell her but that's a violation of the standard of care they admitted that yeah the laboratory virtually admitted liability as well their own pathologist testified that she believed this pap smear was a high grade she would have called it a high grade and most reasonable prudent pathologists would have called it a high grade mm -hmm. that's standard of care right there why are we trying this case but yet we were mm -hmm. and um so i'm like i got myself all twisted around the axe i'm not sure where i was headed with that but what was the question tell me how many question. witnesses how many witnesses oh, and who was your yeah. best witness okay, so here's where i'm headed which is hell they didn't call any of them the defense did not <laughs> they did I, witnesses which were their witnesses then our experts our plaintiffs they put on one defense expert. The laboratory didn't even call anybody, no one. And still only got 35%, which was just shocking to me. Wow, so, wow, yep. yeah. Okay, um, Rob, when did you know you'd formed a group? Any particular event that brought it about? I don't know that I could tell. I don't know that I could say that. I don't. That's very know. high level. Very high level. Yeah. You normally do need to work with someone to know what you're looking for there. But great question because we're always looking for that. Um, were there any offers before trial? And if yes. so, what were they? Yes, there were. Are you um, comfortable sharing what they were? Um, the laboratory. I I knew I could not settle one defendant in this case without the other. They either had to both settle or no one settles. That was my rule going into this, number one, because if one of them settled, we were going to have a huge empty chair. So um, the lab had put a million dollars on the table offer, but it was an offer that was like, we'll pay a million if you'll take a million. We're not really offering you a million. So basically it's not subject counter offer, but we'll pay a million if you'll take a million. And then the hospital healthcare system had put on um, 5.50. So we were not very far apart about 10 days before trial. And then the hospital, uh, it's a long story. They're nuts in a simple manner, but uh, <laughs> they took their offer off the table. 
just took it off the table for reasons no one knows. Well, in many ways, that's a gift, right? It's, I, when I'm coaching my, my trial attorneys, it's always when there's a good offer and, but I, but it's not enough. That's where we get the real tension. Now it's like, yeah, go fuck yourself. I'm taking this to trial. All right. Um, JK is asking, I may have missed it. How did the defense attorneys react to the voir dire and how were you able to try this case in six days? should have gone on quicker than six days. We had a break in the middle of the trial. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was, this was kind of the nationwide deal. Like Kim Kardashian gets involved in this. We had a execution here in Oklahoma that was gonna happen of a young man named Darius Jones. Mm -hmm. And then that execution, you know, was called off at the last nanosecond. But on that day, which was the middle of our trial, they had sent out an email to all judges that they were worried about the security of the courthouse and people in the courthouse, and you had to break and be out of there and have your entire staff out by noon and everybody out. Wow. So we had that delay for that reason. And um, so, like this case actually should have gone on faster. And I'm kind of a person that has the belief of kind of thin to win, mm-hmm. not too thin, but thin to win. As thin as you can get it and still yeah. have it not be too thin. I agree a hundred percent. Absolutely. I think most of our trials are way too long. Um, were you able to talk to, with, to jurors about principles in the case? Like we teach here in H2H. Like through, you know, through Vordier and those kind of things and principles of, you know, responsibility and, you know, as we talked about, um, mm-hmm. calling for test results, not calling for test route, checking patient portals for information. Yeah, we, we talked about, we talked about a lot of principles. Wonderful. And John Chilson's asking, were you able to use the info you sourced in Vordier during your opening to create that trial dialogue? Some of it, yes. <laughs> some of it, you know, you know, you got to go with, I mean, because some of it set up, right? Like it's baked into the batter. You're right. So you're, yeah. You, Most of it, but you're right. getting it from the jury if you can ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So that I would say, you know, I was that, like a superstar on the fly and got all that stuff. You know, I had an open and, <laughs> and it was, it was, Subject to maybe a tiny bit of change, but probably not a lot because there were a lot of issues I had to deal with. But, you know, they, there would also be issues that would be overlapped in Fort Iyer. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the that's the confusion. People think, oh, are, am I creating a voir dire from what happens in voir dire? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm creating an opening. For, no, no, no. You already have your opening created. It's just you're going to go and get your jurors to say it before you say it. Right. And give you a bunch of that stuff. So Charles is asking, would you please tell us about how you presented your damage model request to the jury? Oh, okay, okay. So, um, in Oklahoma, we have a recent Supreme Court opinion that says that the they have approved a per diem payment for pain and suffering. So, you know, I kind of went through that, you, you know, what that meant. And so, and I thought long and hard about this. Um, I decided that we were gonna take a, a per diem argument on this case. And I went through what it is like to watch someone go through chemotherapy and radiation. Hers was combined chemotherapy and radiation. Mm-hmm. So she had 30, nine days of taking combined chemotherapy and radiation. And if you know, my mother died of breast cancer, I have watched a lot of therapy, chemo and radiation being done. And there's always this point where you are looking at your loved one and knowing, just watching this toxic chemical wreck and ravage their body and their appearance. And you think to yourself, how the hell could this be helping? It's so toxic. And they are just, you know, wiped out. Like you think you're not, they're not going to survive the treatment. Mm -hmm. 
And so I went through this and kind of decided that we were going to give her a dollar a second mm. for every time she had to go through this, a dollar a second. And, you know, that came out to $3.3 million. And then, Brilliant. Brilliant. And then we went on and into, you know, kind of the rest of her life and what she would have to endure, given the fact that she is in premature menopause 21 years, well before her time. And the loss of fertility, the sexual dysfunction, the fact that radiation is not something that you just have. Radiation is a progressive injury. Mm -hmm. So there's no question that she will suffer the effects of radiation in the future. We don't know what they are precisely, but we know they'll be there. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of gave a range then based on her life expectancy that for these sayings, if you wanted to pay her $50,000 a year for this loss, here's what your range would be. If you wanted to pay her $100,000 a year for these losses, here's what the number would be. And I gave him the option and said, this is yours. This is yours to, to do. You have complete agency mm -hmm. over everyone in this courtroom now. The power is yours. You have agency over yourselves. And when you want to take a break and what you want to eat and what you're going to do and just gave it to them. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I think that that um, is also what Joe is asking over on Facebook. If you were to ask a question about the fear for invisible injuries, how would you lead into that? And what would the follow-up be? So did you talk about in, in, invisible injuries in voir dire? Oh. No. <laughs> no. I did not. Yeah. You know, you're welcome to jump in there and ask, answer that question about how you do it. Because I'd like to know too. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, every case is, is a little bit different, but it depends. Again, our voir dire method is always about where, where do you want to go, right? What do I want jurors to give me? So I would ask Joe, and Joe's going to be joining us as a crew member in April. Um, I would ask you, Joe, what do you want the jury to give you? What, what do you want them to believe about invisible injuries? And then we design a question about that, right? So if I want the jurors to believe, and again, this isn't about convincing the jurors. I was just on a marketing call this morning because we're doing re a big rebrand here at Sorry DLM. And we were talking about how what we teach you guys is so, so similar to marketing, right? Marketing is not going out and convincing people to buy Sorry DLM services. Marketing is about getting to know the people who already want to buy my service and be getting so clear that they can find us. So it's the same thing in Voidir, right? you're not trying to convince anybody. You're like, where are my people? And then I'm designing questions to find out where they are. So same thing here. If, you're per if your people are going to think that it doesn't have to be a visible injury to be an injury, right? That those are just as awful, if not more so, because people can't see that you're injured. Maybe that's the belief. There's so many different beliefs you see that we would want under invisible injury. There's not one thing. There's many things I'd want jurors to believe about that, that it's just as, if not worse. And why is it worse? Because people can't see it. And so you struggle alone, all of those things. Then I can design my question about how to see if they find out those things. So I'm not going to totally answer that because I, that's something that, to think about what you want actually the jury to, to believe. All right, let's take a couple more. And um, Scott is asking, did you notice the medical bill or introduce the medical bills? Sorry. Great question. And I did not. I did not. And there had been a case tried in the same courtroom. It was like a car wreck case. A pretty, I mean, not horrific injuries, but I want to say back surgery injuries. And in that trial, they did not introduce any medical expense. And they actually got a pretty darn good verdict. And I, I had already planned I was not going to introduce any medical bills. They were around. I want to say you know, because in Oklahoma, it's we can only introduce what was actually paid by mm. the insurance carrier. Well, you always know that's a fraction of what right. that bill number is, right? And so I decided I didn't, it was like around $250,000 or something like that. Oh, low anchor. Yeah. yeah. Get rid of that. Yeah. 
nice. That's I, yeah, that's, that's my suggestion always. Um, because it's just, it's, it's easier on the jury. I think, um, Rob is saying I've heard radiated tissue likened to wet toilet paper, hugely, um, friable limits, future surgical considerations. Yeah. I mean, just for, for me, I, this numbness that's been going down my arm, they thinking it's just the radiated tissue now, six months later is just squeezing something. So yeah, absolutely. You have, you have issues. Okay. So Heather, as we are now rounding out the hour, you are an accomplished trial attorney. You've had now had 20 trials go to verdict. You've been practicing for a while. Why on earth would someone like you be an H2H? And why should someone like you consider becoming an H2H crew member? What would you say to that? Oh my gosh, I wish I had, well, it probably wasn't available, but if it was, <laughs> I wish I had done this a whole lot sooner, a whole lot sooner. Um, get what they want to get out of this. And if you want to get the most out of this, you can get, you can, it is absolutely there for you. Mm. Or if you want little segments, you know, if you feel little segments are what you need in certain areas, that's there for you as well. And, um, I really going to try cases and do this. You need this. You need people surrounding you. Cause you know, frankly, like a verdict, there's a lot of people that are responsible for this verdict, not me. I mean, I take a little credit, but there are, there's always tons of people involved. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this community and being able to get the information you get out of it is absolutely invaluable, invaluable. You just, you can't get a better focus group. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah, so I don't want to give the impression to anyone listening today that H2H is just for struggling attorneys. It's actually most of our attorneys have been practicing over 10 years, most over 20, and have had great success and are ready to just take it to the next level and have things be easier and more fun. And that's what we've heard in every single trial debrief. Wow, this trial was easier than I've ever uh, had before. It was more fun than I've ever had before. And then we get a great result. Just yesterday in, in the H2H crew, we posted two wins just yesterday. Not that it's about the winning, but the more you get your brain managed and your saboteurs managed, and you just go out there and you focus on what you can control, the whole thing starts to work. And it, it is easier than you think it is. So Heather, thank you for being here today. Thank you for being in the crew. We love and adore you. We're so glad you're a crew member and congratulations again on your win. Thank you so much. Okay, well, we'll see you in the crew and see you guys in the crew if you are watching on Facebook and you're not in the crew, you can join. We are reopening April 7th. Join at fromhostagetohero.com. All right, talk soon, everybody. April 5th, April 5th. <laughs> Thanks, Christy, April 5th, that's right. Thanks for joining me today. If you benefited from what we talked about or just wanna let me know you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and leave me a review on whichever platform you use to listen to From Hostage to Hero. Add a comment and I just might give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. In the meantime, head over to fromhostagetohero.com to order your copy of my book, From Hostage to Hero, Captivate the Jury by Setting Them Free. And to get on my mailing list, I send out trial tips and encouragement right to your inbox every single week. And while you're there, make sure you join the waitlist to become an H2H crew member when we reopen. We only open a few times each year and you do not want to miss out. I look forward to our time together in next week's episode. Talk then.